Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith. I'm here today with Hunter. Uh, Hunter is uh, an amazing real estate investor. He's doing all kinds of cool stuff right now, has a podcast on his own. He's really helping people all throughout the country. Uh, So Hunter, thank you for coming on the show. And if you could just share with us a little bit of context of, you know, who you are uh, and what's going on in your life. And uh, before, you know, we get into uh, what this is, you know, your best deal. Yeah, sure. So my name is Hunter. I'm the managing principal of Cashflow Connections. We're a private equity firm that helps investors invest in commercial real estate, uh, most notably mobile home parks and self-storage. But historically, I've invested in a variety of different asset classes. My interest in the space, you know, like a lot of people, 2008 was a major paradigm shift. For me, it wasn't that last straw moment. For me, 2008, I saw a tremendous opportunity in stocks mostly because of even as someone that wasn't very knowledgeable at the time, looking at companies that had legitimate balance sheets where their cash value was basically the same value as their stock price. And basically saying like, how is this possibly the case? This is certainly something to be paying attention to. And then looking at just the amount of blood in the streets, everyone was in a position of being really scared. And so I jumped into financial assets. So that was really the focus of my, my personal portfolio for about two years. And obviously as stock prices were running up, I started to reconsider that thesis because you look at the main things people are trying to accomplish when they invest, you know, protection of capital, predictability of outcome, they want cash flow so that they can pay off their expenses. And in my opinion, stocks are just not a very good vehicle for that to accomplish, to accomplish that. And then right around as I started coming around to this realization, the European debt crisis happened. And this is when there was just tremendous volatility in the US markets based on stuff like the Greece bond yields. And I just had enough of, I remember waking up like trying to predict market timing, understanding like what the Greece bond yields are doing and just way above what a small family office or even a small company could do. And that's what really led me to real estate in particular recession resistant real estate because that predictability of outcome in all stages of the financial uh, economy and financial uh, cycle. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit about my background. We can definitely go into some of the investments I look at now, but that's kind of the things that formed me most as an investor, just dealing with that insane volatility and lack of predictability in the stock market. Yeah, it totally makes sense, man. Let's dive into that like a little bit because I know everybody's super hot right now and talking about, uh, you know, should we be thinking about recession uh, pieces? And then, you know, if we are thinking about them, like what's the right way um, that we should go about thinking about, you know, protecting ourselves from recession or like thriving, you know, if a recession hits? Yeah. So, I mean, they have every reason to be concerned about recessions. Now, the length of the expansionary period is something that often gets quoted. For some reason, that's the only thing that most people look at. It's not inconsequential, though. The reason it's not inconsequential, the length of the expansionary period, in my opinion, is very telling because of the mindset that goes along with that change. So you think about four, six, eight years, people start to think that this is the new normal. Now, the correction that we experienced in 2008 was so significant 
that that mindset hasn't really been the same as some previous corrections in the sense that people are still quite weary of investing in real estate. But when I look at protection to the downside, you know, we're in our 110th month of the expansionary period. It's the second longest expansionary period in the United States since the Civil War, which is just how far the data goes back. So people have the right to be concerned about this oncoming correction. But the, the, the truth of the matter is there are real estate investments that perform well or even inversely perform during economic corrections. And I would make the argument that the data is very compelling towards mobile home parks and self-storage. Mobile home parks are a good example. The worse the economy does, the more demand there is for the product. But, and this is a really important distinction, particularly in these um, secondary asset classes, non-multifamily type of asset classes, the debt is the most important part of any real estate investment. It's the majority of the capital stack. And there's very little attention being paid to that portion of the investment by most investors, especially accredited investors that are investing via crowdfunding websites, for example. So when I look at truly protection to the downside, I wanna make sure that we're looking at conservative debt, not only in terms of LTV, but in terms of the debt service coverage ratio, the length of the interest only period, the amortization schedule, and a variety of other metrics, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with, but the key is that that's the way you really protect yourself to the downside because when it comes to loss of principal, about 99% of the problems regarding loss of principal in real estate are exclusively about the debt. As that, so that they didn't actually have like the right LTV ratio, right? That they were in like the 90, 95% range when they should be like, hey, if you really want to be conservative, you got to follow the hard money lender guys and stay at like the 70% LTV and, and kind of run in that way and maybe be in and out quickly. Or if you're on the consumer side, you're like, no, 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 actually, I want to lock up really long-term debt because if there's corrections, then I, you know, I don't want to be whipsawed out and because I can't actually refinance this into something that works anymore. Like, is that, exactly. is that kind of the way you're thinking through it? Exactly. And the key there is that loan to value is important, but you also want to consider other metrics as well. And you, you alluded to some of them. So the term is a really important part. There are many people in 2008, if they just had two more years, they'd have been fine. Or, you know, they were cash flowing, for example, cash flowing assets in some of these asset classes. Self storage is a great example where the bank said, you know, we're not lending on self storage anymore and your loan's coming due. So you're going to have to, re you're going to, have to pay that off right now in the middle of 2009. And there was just no more liquidity in the market. So it didn't matter that there was a great supply demand equilibrium. It didn't matter. There's a tremendous amount of demand for the product and the occupancy rates were high. The challenge was that loan term wasn't long enough for them to increase their equity position. So LTV is important. Loan term is, is also, and you know, there's other metrics as well, but I think you get the point. Just looking at all of those dials together, trying to understand what the capital stack looks like. And when you're talking about blood in the streets types of pieces, like I know some guys that I talked to like, Hey, if you thought 2008 was bad, the next piece that we're projecting, like the Austrian economists, for example, are bent yeah. on like saying this is going to be much worse than what you guys yeah. anticipated for it. And in that scenario, um, what I've heard some guys say is say, Hey, like, well, listen, well, we don't know what's going to happen with assets. And they'll say, well, I, what I'm going to do is just sit on a big pile of cash knowing that somewhere there's going to be, you know, people that can't get financing, that they'll have high value assets. And then I'm going to go in and scoop up those, wherever those might be. And we can't know those are. So I'm just going to not make any returns for a while. 
and, and wait to see like what happens into that. Um, but to me, that's like, okay, well, that's a different form of risk that you're taking. Uh, and that, right. And I was like, maybe there's actually ways to have like a balance between those. And I think what you're proposing is like that, that balance, right? Like, well, you can exactly. still have money in play. You don't have to be like a lunatic going all, all your chips in on one maybe scenario. Cause that's how you take it to Vegas instead of making it an investment. You know, 100%. Thinking through it. That's the way I've exactly. been. So, you know, I'm just trying to get some self-assurance that I'm not, I'm not the only crazy person out here. Trying well, to- yeah, <laughs> I'm constantly, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of the Austrian school. I think some of those people are the best at identifying and explaining our current situation. The challenge or what I would challenge a lot of them to do is take that same data and make a far better investment vehicle and a far better investment thesis out of that same data. And I think mobile home parks are a perfect example of that. Like it, let's say that the bond yields collapse and there's a debt bomb and the dollar is zero and all this stuff. Wouldn't you just buy a mobile home park at a 10 cap if you could? I mean, I would just buy that. And I mean like at a 10 cap with no debt, like just buy it in cash. I would do that. And I'm not the only one that would do that. I mean, I'm personally, my company's not enough to move the needle, but I know that I would buy a couple of them. And I know that I'm not the only investor that would do that. So you're, when you're looking at downside protection, I just don't find a more compelling way to do that than these asset classes like self storage, for example, where when people are downsizing, we have baby boomers looking at the demographic data that's coming out with all the baby boomers that are retiring and not retiring, but they're eating the age of retirement and relying on social security. Well, they're going to be downsizing. They're going to be looking for smaller, more affordable housing, but they don't historically want to part with their things. So there's all this demand in certain markets for self-storage. Florida is a great example of that. So like I said, you can use that same data and come up with a very different investment thesis and still be bearish on the overall economy. And look, I don't like debt. I don't like governments and, and monopolistic currencies and stuff like that. But it doesn't mean that you have to be a, uh, you know, a recluse financially. You can be extremely active with that same thesis. That's fantastic, Hunter. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of sage pieces for people to follow up um, well, with you here at the end of it um, to, to go into. Do you have uh, a particular place? If anybody's super hot right now, I want to give them a place to, to look at. Um, do you have like a website or something like that where you share more of your insights about, yeah. their, about these types of topics? Yeah, sure. So the podcast for me is a great resource. And I know that you have a podcast as well. I know that's just a tremendous medium generally. So the Cashflow Connections Real Estate Podcast, been lucky enough to interview some pretty influential people on there. And the website is cashflowconnections.com. So I do appreciate you kind of allowing me to do that in the middle of the discussion. But yeah, yeah. that would be the, the area. Yeah, man. I just know that I'm about like saying like, Hey, if you're hot about it right now and this is something you need to learn, like, don't forget about it. Like you're only going to miss like half a podcast episode. But if you're like, wow, I need to learn more about that right now, then that's cool. Like I, I think what we do is pretty important, but you need to know that uh, when it comes up for you and you need to explore information just in life, uh, a lot of times what will happen is that we'll forget that like, oh, that's actually something I really need to make sure that I look into. So I just want to make sure, um, be like, as like, that's a life lesson I learned into it is yeah. like, do it right now. If it takes 15 minutes and you can do it right now and it's important to you, then do it right now. Don't ever procrastinate on it uh, for people, you know? So weird to plug stuff in the middle of the show, but whatever, you know? Um, no, but, I like that. And I just, just to add to that real quick, cause yeah. I'm a super, I'm like super focused on productivity. I'll like just trying to take as much 
productivity and compounded into a day, 10 hour day or 12 hour workday, whatever you do. Um, I'm a huge proponent of lists because of that. So I have a list like my to-do list is a monster. It's very well organized. So for, for those of you that are struggling with, you know, thinking of something and, oh, I don't want to remember that, be a proponent of a list for a month and you'll even, even block out certain days in your calendar to knock out all of your to-do list. And that way you don't have to switch gears cognitively, which I also find is really helpful. Just wanted to add to your, your point there. Super huge, right? Like the cognitive switch between one thing or another is the is is definitely the biggest driver, right? Like yep. uh, I think that's one of the the pieces too, where it really matters like who you study because of how dense the information can be. Because if you can devote more time to it, then you consider denser information, and you actually ramp up your overall productivity and learning curve instead of just surface level info that you can absorb in five ten minutes. Or Love it. Can be in that. So yeah, I'm a super big nerd. So like we can just nerd out, you know, it's like whatever. <laughs> um, the, uh, I totally didn't mean it in that way because it's real estate nerds, but that just worked out that way. So um, I'm just going to go with it. Um, so Hunter, tell us about like this best deal, man. What's going on with uh, you um, before you get into the best deal and like what's the 10,000 foot overview? Uh, before yeah. So for sure. So I, you know, I started investing like a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably did. They look at the barriers to entry or lack thereof in single family and say, look, I've got $25,000. I can buy a house in the middle of Mississippi or whatever version of that that you end up pursuing. It's very common. So I, I did hard money loans in Memphis, Tennessee. Some of the best investments I ever made on a risk adjusted basis, but that was back when the market was really favorable. You could get 14% interest rates on hard money loans at 60% loan to value. Just I, that, that doesn't exist anymore. But as the market continued to correct, basically I realized that the discrepancy between a best in class owner of single family and just a random Joe that bought a property is really not significant. So the lack of scalability, the, the fact that you're relying on an expert really isn't that much of a big deal, especially when you compare it to something like self-storage where you can operate it like a fully functioning business, where the Excel sheet is massive, meaning that every single one of those lines can be better optimized by an operator that is very experienced. Hopefully that makes sense. Basically the complexity of the asset class lends it to a really big discrepancy. And so I started like looking for operators in that space and got introduced to a top 40 operator in the US. And they were pursuing deals very similar to my main thesis, which is looking for risk adjusted returns based on value add, but with not capital expenditure risk. So essentially what that means is looking for operational challenges that these properties are facing and just implementing an infrastructure so that these new management strategies add significantly to the NOI. Right. So just to, just a recap real quick, Hunter, like I, I, to boil it down to like a baseline thing, what you're basically saying is like, uh, we can find ways that we're smarter than people. We'll get those assets. We'll do it smarter. And we're not going to spend a bunch of money. We're not going to build stuff or whatever. We can just run this thing smarter and we're going to exactly. put that in and go with it. Okay, cool. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. Cost you nothing. You just got to have some brains and then just jump into it and, and improve it. Right. Exactly. And look, kind of going back to the example of single family, you can outcompete, you can outmanage other self or excuse me, single family managers. The challenge is that there's just not the many ways to add value. But with self storage, there's a tremendous amount. And I can give you kind of what I was looking at in that original property and some of the reasons why I found it so compelling. 
um, as yeah. an example. Well, because this is really interesting, right? Because like what you're what you're touching on here is 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 a, is a topic that generally says uh, where are the information gaps, like not just like an asset gap of how can I get funding or like how am I going to find the deal necessarily, right? But it's like there's information gaps that are existing inside of an asset. So the really the more I know, the more money I can make because it directly impacts what the bottom line is to it. So what are you looking at when you're targeting an asset to be able to know that that's a place where you being smarter about that is really going to make a big difference? Yeah. So, I mean, I can give you an example of this particular yeah. property to talk about kind of the numbers. So there's a property in Fayetteville, North Carolina. It's about 1,000 units, a self-storage facility. 1,000 units is pretty large for a self-storage facility in the types that we look at. We usually look for somewhere in the range of 50,000 square feet to 100,000 square feet. This property was about 12, uh, 120,000 square feet. So that's very, very large property. So number one, it's near a military base. Typically, they are really good tenants for a variety of reasons. One of them being that their deployments are typically longer than the average self-storage tenant stay. So that's a really good sign. But when we were going on to do due diligence, the first thing we noticed was that the manager, without basically any retail, the manager was literally lending out a pair of scissors to new people that were moving in, as opposed to selling branded scissors with a re reasonable markup. So it's not really that significant from an NOI perspective, but from a mentality perspective for a lack of sophistication perspective is extremely telling. So you're looking at that, you're saying, look, well, they're clearly not optimizing retail. What else are they not doing? Well, we found out that there was zero relationship with a truck rental company. And this is a major value business. So that we partner with, they have a background and a relationship with U-Haul. And so as soon as we buy a property that doesn't have any kind of rental uh, relationship, we can just ask U-Haul to park 15 to 40 trucks that they own on our facility. And then we rent out the trucks to the tenants where they're moving in and out. And we get a commission from U-Haul for facilitating the transaction. That one line item I have seen properties go from $0 a month to $3,800 a month directly to the bottom line. And so if you're talking about multiplying that by 12 and dividing by a seven cap, you're talking about like half a million, $750,000 added of equity by just simply implementing that strategy. And it's a, it's a matter of having the systems in place to do that. And there's several other options I can go into, but when you see that, it's just money sitting on the table basically. That's excellent. And that's not even, you're not talking about super complex business systems that you're putting in place. You're talking about like, there's actually just simple strategies. That's the difference between people that had had the idea and was exposed to them and actually took and implemented it and those that didn't. But it's not like somebody's out there trying to create the next Google to be able to do something with that if they just had to actually do it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And just going back to that discrepancy, that's a business where you not only have that significant discrepancy, but the overwhelming majority is very unsophisticated. So 77% of the self-storage business is owned by non-REITs. That doesn't mean all of them are extremely unsophisticated mom and pops, but many of them are, meaning that they maybe have one property. You just cannot have the economies of scale. You cannot have that relationship where you just call up U-Haul and they bring over the trucks immediately. So the compounding of those two factors makes it very compelling. Something else that's very similar is mandatory tenant insurance. This property had no mandatory tenant insurance, which basically mandates that every tenant have insurance on their product, on the property that they have 
right, that's stored in the facility. So this one line item, again, went from $0 a month to $2,700 a month over a 36 month period. We usually underwrite that to $1,500 a month, but this particular property, because of how large it was, went up to $2,700 a month. So again, I mean, you're getting into the $1 million range with those two strategies. Of course, it takes management strategies to implement this, but the dollars are just very compelling. Yeah, that's fantastic, Hunter. And, and when you're trying to um, look at, say, I mean, these are assets that you've, you've come across so far uh, that, that have these types of gaps in them. Like, how, how are people typically, um, you know, like searching for something to say, like, here's where you're going to be finding these, these types of opportunities to exploit because things are just really just mismanaged. Is that really just kind of, you know, knocking on doors and, and seeing how people are running things to be able to find out why, who doesn't know how to run a business right? Yeah, and that's, that's really why the way that we're positioned in the industry, we leverage our relationships with top tier sponsors. So we usually look for 100 million under management or more, 10 assets or more, taking multiple properties full cycle and that are very currently active. And when you have that, you have relationships with brokers and off-market transactions that are extremely favorable. You will get the first deal whether it comes on the market or it's before it's the market. And those are the really compelling ones. So there are great opportunities out there from operators that just don't have that type of experience yet, but it's just not a fit for our company. So to answer your question directly, you know, we don't, we as Cashflow Connections, we don't source those opportunities. We joint venture with partners that have those relationships because of their track record. And it's just about their ability to fund on time. Okay. So that's really like the, what you guys have more than anything else is saying, like we've already built out all of these networks and saying like, that's a really the big value that we're going to be bringing to the table here, you know, among other things is that, you know, we already have all of the existing relationships and we have the existing game plan that comes into this. So yeah. it, who, who is it that necessary, who is like your ideal person to connect with, um, you know, through your organization? Is that really somebody that says, Hey, I got a million bucks that I'm looking to park somewhere you know, are you guys interested in taking that and managing it for me or what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Something similar to that. So we have had, you know, Fleming office, for example, invest a million dollars with us kind of to your exact point. Um, we also have accredited investors investing anywhere from 30 to $50,000. Um, we manage about 250 investors and purchased about $35 million of property in 2018 so far. So that'll kind of give you an idea of the scale, but yes, accredited investors that are looking to diversify, you know, mostly right now into recession resistant real estate, but I'm a huge proponent of diversification and love other real estate assets as well. It's just challenging to build a business without consistent deal flow. And those are the asset classes that I'm seeing that in right now. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what a great way to uh, build a business and also become, you know, an expert inside of a niche area, you know, because it sounds like what you've done is that you've gotten into like, you've really had like a laser focus on to say, it's just this, and I'm gonna get super deep and how do we maximize this one area. And then uh, for people that that resonates with, it's like, oh, no, well, that's the option that you want to go with, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, that's really what you want, I think, in, in all high level experts, right? It's the same reason why it makes uh, me and the Royal Legal Solutions really powerful for people is because like it's the one tiny area of real estate for investors that only need these types of comprehensive solutions. And then we can go super deep into it of like, mm -hmm. it's just these types of people. Um, and I got to tell you to the listeners out here, it's that if, if that is what you're looking for, that this is kind of what you're, this is what you're looking for um, in an operator 
uh, to put money with. This is so much more powerful what Hunter's uh, laying out on the table for you guys here today. Um, and I'm not getting paid or anything to say this, by the way, just, just to be clear about that. I don't get paid for any recommendations I give or any advice I give on, um, on what, what I see when I'm, when I'm interviewing guests. Um, is that this is the big jump that you have that's different between just saying, hey, there's somebody I met at a meetup group or I have for, that I saw a deal on on crowdsourcing and maybe I'll put some money with them because you're like, okay, well, that's good. But what really differentiates that person from the hundreds of other operators are pretty tenuous. It's like maybe I got some good recommendations for them. Maybe they've done a couple of deals that feels pretty good. Like maybe my friend liked them or something like that. What Hunter is describing for you guys is a knowledge gap that you can explore, exploit super deep that also has low downside potential into it. So he's really, he's really leveraging high up on the knowledge side and the network side of things where otherwise that's, those are things are really hard to build on your own. Um, and that other people aren't going to enter into the market easily to be able to, to do that because it takes time and dedication to build that type of stream. So I only point that out for the second to, to just at the very minimum, I'm not saying like, Hey, go put all your money with Hunter. Right. Not at all. What I'm, what I'm really saying is like, look at the difference and the types of operators that you have. And this is the difference. You know, that's the AB test uh, to look for um, with whatever operator you side is going to make the most sense for you, of course. Right. So, um, so thanks Hunter for sharing like that type of perspective. Like that's a real yeah. way of thinking about it. A hundred percent. And I obviously, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity not only to come on here, but also to have that discussion because it's something that people should be taking really seriously right now. The combination of two really important things happened over the last 10 years that are culminating in a really unique opportunity to mess up. Here's the two. Number one, we've had the most significant real estate run up in the history of the United States, completely compounded by the Jobs Act, which for the first time, allowed people to invest in real estate on the internet. And so you now have all these people that for the first time have done this with a tremendous track record all of a sudden. And it's really challenging to tell if those same strategies and that same due diligence process is going to be repeatable over the next 10 years. So it's a really important time to tighten up and figure out how the results were created and if those results were a result of this incredible market correction or a result of your due diligence processes. So yeah, I know we kind of got sidetracked, but that's something I'm extremely passionate about is 100% why I have the podcast. Yeah, I think that's uh, great, man. That's a great point. Um, like a similar story at, at, at the heart of like what that lesson is, is like a really simple phrase is like, is it because of or in spite of? Is there a success right now because of how good of an operator they are or in spite of the fact that you just, it's really hard to lose in a market that is increasing like with this speed, right? And uh, with it, and, and that also tell, would tell you other factors of like how much foresight do they really have about the future to really be able to explain those points to you and like what are the considerations and the data points and how do you actually analyze the information? That's how you can tell jokers from people that are actually smart and the people that are actually, I don't want to say necessarily smart, but like, because like intelligence really doesn't matter, but it really does matter is how deeply you can think through the problems, right? For sure. Um, that comes into it. And, and by an analogy, guys, this is something that we also talk about too, about like NFL football players that tell you you can eat McDonald's and be ripped and have six pack abs, right? Are they an NFL player because they're eating McDonald's or are they an NFL player and ripped in six pack abs in spite of the fact that they eat McDonald's? And they're like, oh, it doesn't matter. And they just have like superior genetics and all this other stuff, right? For so sure. 
important fallacies to keep in mind when you're doing your own internal analysis of how are you thinking through these types of problems. Um, and it, and I uh, just from talking here to Hunter today, it's, it's clear to me that he's the type of person that's thinking really deeply through this kind of stuff. So I hope you guys have an opportunity um, to connect more with him and, and learn more from him, what he's doing with that cash flow connection. So um, Hunter, I think that that's uh, over at, is that cashflowconnections.com? Is that right? That's correct. Go to. Awesome. Is there any other place that you're, you're connecting with people like either like on Facebook or, you know, through like phone or email or anything like that? Yeah. LinkedIn for sure. And then you can always send me an email at Hunter Thompson at cashflowconnections.com. If you send me an email and just say that you enjoyed the conversation, I'd be happy to send you our eBooks. One of them is available on the website. The other one is like super secret for people that are actually engaged. So if you do send me an email, make sure to send you both of them. And it's about the least interesting, no, super interesting, very dry uh, due diligence commercial real estate for passive investors, which is, like I said, not really talked about, but um, definitely important. Yeah, definitely. Right. Uh, that's what it is, guys, is uh, getting into the, some of the dry information there and nerding out on it. And then like getting into like the enjoyment of actually into like the deep learning. You know, like if you're really going to make it and you really want to be a millionaire and you want to be a millionaire, you know, um, you know, in, in the near future of what you're going to do, you're going to have to be thinking better than the rest of everybody else out there. So it's, it's got to have the information and the way of thinking about it. One yeah. more thing, if we're about to jump off, I just wanted to mention, because I feel like the listeners yeah. will kill us if we didn't yeah. say how the deal ended up. <laughs> so, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I just assumed yeah. it ended up great. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go no, yeah, it did. It did end up great. And that's not really the point, but really the overall, you know, we purchased it for 6.75, sold it for 9.64, which is awesome. And in about three and a half years. So on an ROI basis, that's a, let me put it in the calculator, home run. It doesn't matter what the return is, right? Just awesome. And we did not want to accept expectations. That was just a great experience. Most of that came from those management prowess and we did experience significant cap rate expansion, I mean, excuse me, compression during that. So going back to that earlier conversation, it's important to consider that, but the key, in my opinion, the overall key with the why this is such a great deal is the lack of capital expenditure risk not building a new facility, not expanding the thing by 50,000 square feet, just implementing the better strategies, which is why I think it's so compelling. So thanks again for letting me uh, do that. I just wanted to add that because I think you're going to get a lot of emails saying, what happened? Did he get foreclosed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's actually a great way to, to wrap it up here at the end, guys, is that it's not, is exactly what you said, right? And that's what it's about, like, thinking through the, the business problems better. And you don't actually have to have a ton of money to do that. To be smarter, you just have to have to read and study more and think a little bit deeper about the problems and be a little bit more aware and willing to work at it. Um, so it's, it's a phenomenal way to, to make more money. You know, that's, uh, uh, that's really just like one of the golden nuggets of uh, what you can get as an investor that applies everywhere, you know, whether you're doing uh, self-storage or, or whatever the case may be through that. So um, thanks, Hunter, for, for coming on the show. And of course, everybody, um, I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith uh, with the Real Estate Nerds podcast here. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything real estate asset protection, uh, business and legal. Thanks, guys. And uh, talk to you again soon. That's all for this Best Deal episode. And I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one. So keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.